From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Hey folks, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superpower School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and on today's episode, we have an awesome guest from England. I'm so glad I've got a guest from the UK because a <laughs> few people have been messaging me going, Paddy, you always have Americans on your show. So I thought today we'll break that mold and uh, we'll bring someone locally on the show. And it is someone who is a transformational coach. She helps people unlock their fears, which sounds absolutely amazing. So it's amazing. Maria Jeffers. Hey, Maria, how are you doing? Hi, Paddy. Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Oh, you're welcome. And could I ask, whereabouts are you from in the UK? Yes, I'm from Liverpool, but I'm based in the Midlands. So I'm actually currently in Leicestershire. That's where I live. I've got the northern accent. I gotcha. So that's probably two of my favourite places. So I live in the Midlands and... I am a red. I do support Liverpool yes. football. Good. <laughs> That's good. All right. We're on the same team. Excellent. So before we jump into knowing more about you, what is the superpower that you'd like to bring to this particular episode? Yeah, the superpower I'd like to bring is really the ability to help people reframe the language they have in their head, to reframe some of their thinking. So is that a little voice that sometimes niggles away in your head? Yeah, and it's even some words that we hear every day, such as the word challenge. I did a post recently and we just explored this word because for some people a challenge is exciting, it's a good thing, it's an opportunity. For other people it's a problem, it's something that's best avoided, you know, they don't want challenges. So again, it's one word, but it can have such different meanings for different people. So it's about really trying to reframe that into the positive sense for those people that struggle with it. Perfect. Oh, what a great topic to explore. So what is your background and how did you end up becoming a transformational coach? Yeah, well, I did a degree in organizational development studies and it was very general, you know, back I was 21, wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but it seemed quite broad. So I thought I'll give me a good opportunity for the job market. And then I went into recruitment, which again, I enjoyed. It was fast paced. And through my role in recruitment, I came to learn about psychometrics and how they're used in the recruitment process. So psychometrics, such as ability tests or personality questionnaires, and they help fit people to the jobs that they're applying for. And then I ended up working for an organization that produced these psychometrics. So I, you know, I made a move into an area that I found I was interested in. So I went through a lot of psychology training to use these assessments and understand how they're introduced into the recruitment process, but also development. And then I became more aware of development programs, coaching that's used. So it led from there, really. I never thought at the time about being a coach, but I was interested in it. And I used to wonder what happened in those sessions. You know, I would go in as a consultant and talk about the problems that the organization was maybe encountering. And they would have their people go through a development program. And there were always coaching sessions included. And I was never privy to find out exactly what went on in those coaching sessions. What was it that, you know, I knew the words, but I didn't know what a process. I was always a bit intrigued, I suppose, looking back. This was in my 20s. Anyway, long story short, I had a family. I had eight years out, so I didn't work at all for eight years. 
And if I'm honest, I hit a bit of burnout, got to a place where I did try to go back to work a couple of times when the children were little, and I just couldn't seem to manage it. So I had this time out thinking it was just for the family. But then I come to realize that I'd built up quite a bit of fear because I've made my life so small. I was controlling a lot of things in my life. So I'd retracted from lots of different situations and life would get smaller and smaller. And I started taking my daughter along to horse riding lessons when she was about six. And I thought, oh, I used to love horse riding. I'm going to have a go. I'm going to have a go myself. And oh my goodness, the fear it unearthed in me just sitting on a horse. I thought, how did I used to do this? I couldn't quite understand how I used to do horse riding when I was terrified. So anyway, I wanted to get back into it. So I persevered with this. And I come to realize that I just had loads of fear sitting in me. It was often to do with the horse ride, and that just really held a mirror up for me. I just found that I'd been living with a lot of fear that I'd ignored for a long time. So I put myself on a development program online to overcome fear from a horse riding, and then it just took off from there. I was so fascinated and intrigued by the power of our thoughts and the stories we tell ourselves and the limiting beliefs that we had that I ended up becoming a, an accredited coach last year. You know, I, I've just, I, I'm on a development program at the moment, a high performance coaching program at the moment. So I've just really immersed myself in this world and just love to help others now because I can see how I was baffling myself for all those years. It's all about me. It was, you know, and now I'm just, I'm so keen to, to share with others. Oh, that sounds amazing. The fact that you looked for a solution for yourself and then you discovered this thing and that's led to a whole career. So that's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. And so if people out there are thinking, well, should this episode be for me? Like, will this apply to me? What sort of examples have you come across where you've had to help people? So I'm fearful of spiders. Would I be an ideal candidate for (laughs) one of your sessions or... Probably not because I think you're more into a bit of hypnotherapy for that. I'm quite scared of spiders still and I've not chosen to tackle that one. All right with that. There's some fears that we'll have that it's not going to benefit me too much to cure that for me. However, it would be definitely would be possible. I guess mine is more about how we limit ourselves and the stories we start to tell ourselves. So for example, I worked with a client that was going forward for a promotion and it looked very much like she was going to get this promotion. However, she, because she had a level of self-awareness to start with, she was aware that this could, it could start off a bit of a stressful process for her. She already had those thoughts be a bit much for me. You know, I've got a family, I've got other commitments. I managed to really help her change some of the language in her head and some of the ways she was approaching things to remove those stories so she could actually enjoy what she wanted to do and doing it and just feeling like she was battling through. Got it. And so if somebody were to come to you with one of those fears, what sort of process would you take them through? Is there a simple way to break that down? Yeah, I think it's amazing when you have a breakthrough as a client. That can happen very much in the first session. I always meet with people for an hour or so, first of all, and that is just a complimentary thing because we want to check that we're a right fit for each other. You know, this. if I'm going to work with someone, there needs to be trust. They need to want to change because some people think they want to change but actually so I like to explore that and I know that might sound strange but 
there's work to be put in from the person being coached. It's them ultimately, it's their life, and they are going to be the ones that work on their mindset and put their action in place. I can't do that for someone. I can help support and be, help them be accountable. But ultimately, the person needs to be ready. So that first session is always about exploring, well, what is the vision? You know, where are they currently a bit stuck? And ideally, where, where do they want to be? And through that session, hopefully, I help the individual have a little bit of a breakthrough where they think, oh, yeah, I've never thought about it that way before. And it's at that point where they either think, you know what, I'm ready to change. Let's go for this and we'll work together. Or it may be they uncover something, but they think, yeah, now it's just not the right time. You know, I'm just not ready. They're not ready for whatever reason. That's fine as well. Sometimes it can take a while for some things to land with us and you're just not quite ready for whatever reason. But when you are ready to change, I would say you're just at the beginning of a journey. So I have a program that I take people through over eight weeks. However, at the end of the eight weeks, it is a case of it's just really opened their eyes to themselves. They've become more self-aware and hopefully are already getting results because it unlocks certain things in your mind. But they are, it's a forever practice, I think, you know, managing our thoughts, trying to build our positivity and our resilience. It's ongoing process. No, I totally get you because I try and surround myself with lots of positive people. Yeah. I'm generally a positive person. And I do find that when there is negativity around me, it really zaps my energy because I'm now feeling quite deflated. So as an ongoing action, are there any things that people can do in terms of their environment that they're within? Or is it purely about you looking within yourself? It's a mixture of both. It's mostly looking within yourself. However, once you start to understand yourself more, so for example, the way I behave is coming from the thoughts that I'm having. So if I was having really negative thoughts right now and was very uncomfortable, I probably wouldn't be speaking so freely with you, Paddy, and feel so comfortable just in the way that we're conversing now. Because I've got positive thoughts going on because I've primed myself to be that way now where I think, yes, I can do this. It's a positive experience and that's how I end things now. But the more you become self-aware of how you're thinking, it helps you understand how other people are thinking. So if I encounter someone that seems more negative, quieter, makes me maybe feel a bit, you know, I would class someone as a, them as a positive person. What I can begin to understand is it's nothing to do with me. That is so rather than taking it in as my problem that this person is being negative, I allow them to own themselves. So I don't take it in because that can become so draining when we take on other people's energy as our own, that can really change it for us. So I think the thing that's helped me, the self-awareness I have, I can now apply to other people. So I understand more. If someone's a bit prickly, even seems a bit off, I think they mentally, they must not be in a great place at the moment. It's not for me to own that as a problem. And that fe that's felt really freeing. I'd love to know, you know, what does some of the scientific research tell us about why people think in a more negative way or why they are sometimes unable to see things from a positive perspective, in which case they need help, you know, from yeah, the likes of yourself. I mean, I don't have a science background, but I have done a lot of reading of different areas. And I've come to understand that there's different areas of the brain. And there's one area of the brain that is all about our primitive self. 
And it really is all about survival. So that part of the brain wants us to live fundamentally. And if it is very activated, it can perceive everything as a threat to life. So that can even be a social occasion to that part of the brain. It's just sending off alarm bells that this isn't safe. This isn't safe. We need to protect you. So then the voice in the head comes in. Mm, are you sure you really want to go into that? There might be a lot of people there you don't know. You might have to talk to people that you don't know. It might not feel comfortable. So you start getting these negative thoughts. Now, when we're able to just very calmly say to that voice, it's fine, Dixie. You know, we know we're going to know lots of people there. And even if we don't, it doesn't matter. We'll just chat. Then you rest that back. It's like, oh, okay, you have that little inner conversation. And then over time, the more you put yourself in situations like that and you actually realize it's not threatening at all, you won't even have that thought because you've proven it to yourself that it's not a threatening environment. But when we do try new things, that's how that part of the primitive brain does view it. It views it as quite a you know, high threat. It's a risk. We're taking a risk now and your brain becomes quite highly aware of that. And that's where the little voices sometimes ping in. And it's for us to yeah, just manage that. I was contemplating whether I should go to our Christmas party for work. Yeah. And I was saying to my wife, oh, there's going to be so many people I don't know. I only know a handful of the people that are going to be there. Should I really go? So that voice was definitely kicking in, I think, for me. Yeah. But it, it does sometimes take you a few iterations of thinking things through before you convince yourself. That's so right. I'd love to know any tips and practical tips that you can offer Yeah, for people who maybe are facing a dilemma like that. Not the Christmas party, but you yeah, know, something a bit more serious than that. And they're thinking, well, how could I start to reframe some of that conversation within mm. myself? I think the first thing is to acknowledge that you're having that thought. A lot of the time we, we spend a lot of time as humans avoiding things. So we have a bit of a thought like that. We just avoid, we avoid thinking about it. And it's actually, well, let's have a think about it ourselves. You know, if there's something coming up, let's say you've got a presentation to deliver and you're starting to have quite anxious thoughts about it. And often that can be what's going to go wrong, that you're not suddenly going to know your stuff. You're not going to know what to say. It's almost allow yourself to think all, allow yourself, give yourself permission to think all of this. And then think, well, actually, how realistic is that? Am I being realistic? You know, is this really a, a very threatening situation? Do I know my topic? Do I know why I'm going? So you can almost, have, you know, just ask yourself the question, do I know the content I'm about to talk about? Am I, am I passionate about that? You know, what is my purpose? If I'm going, if I've got a presentation and you're very clear on the outcome and the purpose that you want, you can stop worrying about the detail and trying to get things perfect. Because as long as your message comes through overall and the people that you're presenting to get what they need, that's the most important thing. So when one tip I would say is, yeah, first of all, acknowledge that you're, you're starting to feel worried or anxious about something and allow yourself to think about it. But I would say, take the emphasis away from yourself in a scenario like that and think about others. That can really help. So when we start to think, well, what is it that the people and therefore are going to want from this experience and we start to think about them, we become less self-conscious then because we're now focused on them rather than us. So, you know, you've got that level of self-awareness where you're aware that you're worried about it, but you can start to tame those thoughts by saying, well, look, I'm going to reassure myself that I do know my content. It might not, it doesn't matter if I don't say things like script word for word in my head perfect, as long as I'm getting the key messages across. And I think another tip would be, you know, really work with your physiology as well. 
because our mind and our body are so connected that if we're going into a situation that we see threatening, such as delivering a presentation in front of people, we don't really want to be going in hunched over with our arms folded and our heads down. You know, you're going to be telling them that, oh, you know, I'm so unconfident here. I'm not enjoying this. Your physiology will tell your brain that. So what we want to do is really, you know, use our body language, open up the shoulders, smile, get eye contact with people and actually say to people, if you're feeling it, do you know what? I'm feeling a bit nervous today. This is, I've not maybe done many presentations and you know, the people will be on your side. Most people want to see you do well. So sometimes it's just, again, acknowledging it to the room in a gentle way if you need to. And once you've said it, you'll feel much better anyway. So it's just really owning it. Whatever it is you're feeling, just own it. And yeah, give yourself the best chance because we are so fearful of things that are just not a real threat to us. And it is just having that rational conversation with ourselves and settling ourselves down. If we're kind, if we have compassion for ourselves, you know, we, we can then fully give to others. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about the current times that we live in and especially with the whole economy at the moment, there's just so much uncertainty and I can, I just watch the news every day and I see people who are really anxious and, you know, just don't know which direction things are going to head in and are really worried about like fuel bills and expense and mortgages and all of that good stuff. I mean, it's really overwhelming, I think, for the best of people. So I think these skills are essential in today's climate because otherwise, if you're just surrounded by negativity, it's so easy just for you to, you know, almost let it get the better of you. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely valuable what you've talked about there. And if you were to look back at some of your coaches and the great work that you've been doing, could you give us an example of one or two individuals without naming names of where they've made a huge shift and you're really proud of the improvement that they went through yeah i mean there's someone that i've worked with and he had the real mindset and he used to say this so this is an example of how we tell ourselves stories and we think they're really true because we've got evidence that it's true so this person would say they're no good in the morning they just they're more of a they, they're happier later at night they're not a morning person so what do you think happens when you tell yourself and say to others out loud on a regular basis, you're not a morning person? You know, the brain loves to prove itself right. So you become what you say you are, basically. So if you're going to, if you're stating that and thinking that, then that is who you, that's the behavior that will follow. So for this particular person, we started to explore that and explore, well, is that the way, is that who you are? You're not good in the morning. Is that who you are? Or are you just basing that on how you've behaved in the past? Because we're not our past. We can be who we want to be from today, from tomorrow. Without, you know, we can make a choice to be. So if you want to be getting up in the morning and doing some exercise or having a bit of a morning routine, there's nothing stopping you do that other than yourself. You know, you're just being your biggest barrier here. So anyway, for this individual, it took a while to work through some of that, but Something just clicked it and this person was unable to get up a quarter to seven every morning after being more of a half eight person and physically leave the house and go for a swim every morning and has been doing that for months. And this is someone that honestly would just tell themselves the stories that, oh no, that's not for me. That would, that I'm just not a morning person. I can't exercise in the morning. I don't feel good in the morning. And it's just a brilliant example of how. We program ourselves with the words and the thoughts that we use. 
And that's why, you know, be careful with what you tell yourself because the brain loves to be right. <laughs> yeah, it just reminded me of the book Atomic Habits by James yes. Clear. And yeah. We often have this, actually, as we approach the new year, often people go, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to live yeah. a healthy lifestyle. And yeah. often we make such a big leap that it's not sustainable because we haven't actually trained the brain or the mind into that habit. And so we might go to the gym once or twice and then it just falls just flat on its face. And so in Atomic Habits, there, there's just so many great techniques that are mentioned whereby you can take those small steps and just start to grow that habit. So in this case, with this individual, like what was the key point at which he flipped to yep. making this a long-term habit? I think we really explored this idea of who are you waiting to be? It's, it's a model that we use. I don't know if you've heard of it. Be, do, have. Well, often people wait until they have a certain thing to be able to do a certain thing, to be the person they want to be. Now, we flip it around where it is very much decide the person who you want to be and stop being it now. So there may be someone in your mind, like a version of yourself that you think in five years' time, I want to be like that. But we say, well, start living the, that life now. Stop being that now. And then your actions, what you do will change because you're being this person. Your actions will change and then you will have what you want. So again, it's like a lot of people will say, I want to be more confident. It's like, okay, be more confident. Let's choose to be more confident. Well, you know, there's techniques and tips, but I think it was that point with this particular client that he just realized, yeah, what am I waiting for really? I'm going to, if that is ultimately what I'm, it's obviously niggling me, the fact that he was saying, I'm not a morning person. The fact that you're leaning in and saying that so much shows that you want to be, or you wouldn't be saying it so much. You could tell there's a bit of resistance there. So I think something just clicked where he thought, I'm going to be that person now. I'm going to be that person. And from the place of being that person that is committed to getting up a bit earlier, doing a little bit of exercise, it sets him up for the day, ready to take the actions he needs to take to have the things he wants to have. So that, I think it was that sort of model when we worked through that, he really, it really clicked and he got it. Oh, fantastic. So if I could flip that question then, yeah. and can you think of, an example where somebody was so challenging that you were either close to giving up or you did give up with them. And why do you think they weren't able to beat that voice? I think with some people, there's a person I'm thinking of in particular, when there's, when there's a lot of blame involved for things in the past, that so let's say, you know, it goes back to childhood. So things have happened and you know, mum and dad haven't parented the way they could have as well as they could have. So it's just, you know, it's not about, it's not a light issue. It's things that maybe haven't really been there. You haven't had that setup that every child sort of deserves. Those, the person I'm thinking about, it's quite, it's difficult to let go of blame. And blame as adults only holds us back because we give our power away when we're blaming someone else. We give our power away and it can be quite a challenge, I find, because, you know, who am I to try and suggest that they are not to blame when in some ways you think, well, they are to blame because they're your parents. And However, at some point, we almost need to just see our parents as they are individuals that have are flawed and have made mistakes just like we have and just let go of the blame. 
it, you don't even have to forgive. It can just be let go of the blame and start to take responsibility for yourself. I think those conversations can be challenging. And I'm not talking about, I'm not going, I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not talking about abuse or anything like that. I just mean areas where maybe mum or dad hasn't done what we think they should have done for us and we can attach to blame. And that can really, that can be a real challenge to, for some people to get through. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And it led me on to another question that I thought about as you were talking that through. Do you think this state of mind is one that we're born with? Or is it about going through experiences in life that then shape you into thinking I'm a failure or I'm not going to be able to stand up in front of that audience and talk and all of those sort of those negative thoughts come into your mind? There's been a lot of research into this. There's studies where they've separated twins and all sorts, haven't they? And what science seems to tell us is it's a 50-50 split nature-nurture. So we are born with a certain mindset, you know, a certain inbuilt way of thinking. And then our environment also shapes us. So you could, that explains in a way why you can have two people in the same family, more or less experiencing, I know brothers and sisters, they're experiencing the same environment and are nurtured and loved in the same way, but they have a different experience of it because the way their mindset did set up, it's just their experience in the same reality in a different way. So... In a sense, there's good news though, because what it means is 50% of our mindset is it's plastic, it's moldable, we can change, we can develop. So although we may always have a certain tendency to think a certain way, we can develop and find new thought patterns and allow them to be embedded in our brain. So I always think that's such a positive thing that we are, you know, we are all capable of developing a more positive and resilient mindset. It does just take the focus and the work to do it. We, you know, we really do have to work hard to counteract. If we do, if we are a person that tends to have lots of negative thoughts, well, we need to have double the amount of positive thoughts then. We need to really feed them into our brain, whether that's through positive affirmations, reading positive material. We just need to make sure that we're constantly counterbalancing those negative thoughts. And talking about taking things in, I mean, we're seeing a lot of people on social media and social media is bombarding us with lots of shocking news. And mm -hmm. I, I was looking into this around the way in which some of these algorithms work. So the likes of YouTube, the likes of TikTok and all of these interesting social media platforms, they are looking to shock you because if we just see all the good news stories all the time, the brain gets used to that. And actually, I think we crave hearing about extreme examples and in a way that the algorithms are almost purposely sending you provocative things to keep you interested to keep you hooked how much of a part does social media have in the way in which we think about ourselves do you think that's a big question, isn't it? Social media is something that we didn't have as children, did we? So we didn't really have that in our lives. It's such a normal saying, you know, I've got three children, six, 11 and 14 is their age. And they spend time on the phones. And they look at social media and the different messages. And some of it is good. There are some good messaging coming through. But, you know, yeah, inevitably they must, you know, they will come up 
things that aren't so positive. I think it is important to talk about that. So it is a case of sometimes just, again, recognizing that you've seen something and it's not positive and talking about it, recognizing that, but limiting your time that you are looking at things that are not, are not going to ultimately help you because, you know, there's an element, isn't there, that we want to have control of aspects of our lives and stories in the news, for example, that we just don't have control over. I think we need to limit the amount of time that we spend listening to those because it can really influence our mindset and it's we, we can't do anything about it. If you are not as resilient as you could be, then you can fall into the trap of comparing yourself to everything you see. And again, when I work with people, it is about making sure that they are just comparing themselves to themselves yesterday or the day before that or the year before that rather than other people because we're all on such a different journey that you can't really compare one person to another. So again, it's just not falling into that trap of comparing yourself because you could be having an best day and you'll compare if you compare yourself to that person. It just, yeah, I'd say it's just a fruitless task to do that. There's a great documentary on Netflix, which brings us to the boil, which is called The Social Dilemma. And there's a whole bunch of employees of some of the big social media brands like Instagram, Twitter, and Google, etc. And they lift the lid on some of the tricks that they had been using to hook us into nice. social media platforms. And yeah. It's really worrying when you hear about some of those stories because when they were creating these features, they believed they were doing it for the good of people because they believed social media was for the good of people. But then when the commercial side is involved, then obviously those social media platforms want you to stay on them for as long as they can keep you. So there's lots of bad practices going on social media. And I think it is such a shame and it'd be really interesting to see what impact that can have on someone's state of mind in terms of if somebody is quite positive, how long before they then start going the opposite way? That would be really interesting. It will, it will. It's how suggestive we are, isn't it, as people? Are we someone that really is clear on our own thinking and we're quite, you can be open-minded, but there's a difference, isn't there, between being too easily influenced? So that brings me on to if people wanted to know more about this subject matter and yeah. they wanted to do some reading or just take that next step for themselves, obviously we're going to let people know how they can get in touch with yourself, Maria, but what resources or books would you recommend as an ongoing step for them? Yeah. Would well, you know one book that's really good that I really enjoyed reading written by a sports psychologist? is The Chimp Paradox. And that is written, it's Professor Stephen Peters. And he has been a sports psychologist for the likes of Stephen Gerrard and some other, you know, oh, talking about Liverpool, there we go, a Liverpool name. So Stephen Gerrard and some other professional athletes. But that is a book that talks about the different parts of the brain. And it describes that primitive part of the brain as being the chimp. And it is very much about how to manage your chimp. Because those vo the negative voices that you'll hear or your chimp trying to ruffle your feathers it's just quite a funny, it's a book that gives a lot of information, but it presents in such a way that it's an easy read because some of the, you know, some of the real terms are part of the brain and it can get quite medical and it can get quite heavy, but this book just presents that information in such a fun way. But it, you do have a few moments where you think, oh yeah, I can really relate to that. 
So yeah, The Chimp Paradox is a good book. Fantastic. Yes, I've heard of that book. I need to get it, actually. I haven't had the opportunity to read it. It's a good start to if you just really want to understand the difference, you know, how the different parts of the brain impact our day to day. Good. But the other book that I really enjoyed, which is a very short book, is called The Four Agreements. And that's written by, it's a Mexican, Don Miguel Ruz. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but R-U-I-Z. And The Four Agreements, two of them that really resonated with me is again, similar to what we were going back to earlier. Don't take anything personally. So this, you know, it is about that people are really just projecting themselves onto you. So don't take things personally. It's not for you. It's not about you. It's about them. And, but then the other one to, on the other side of that is be impeccable with your word. So I think that's so nice because... You know, can you imagine if we, all of us on the planet, all walked around, not taking anything personally, but also really thinking about what we're about to say? Do we need to say it? Is it, you know, am I going to hurt someone's feelings if I say this? Is it necessary for me to say this? Am I coming from a competitive place? Am I trying to make myself feel better by putting someone else down? So I just, I love the look of both sides of that. You know, not taking anything personally frees me up to think, phew, it's not for me. That's just how they're feeling but the other side of be impeccable with your word. So okay. it was those two. There's another two agreements there, which aren't at the front of my mind at the moment, but they are the two that really stood out for me. Fantastic. And Maria, how can people get in touch with you? How can they get to talk to you about some of these great topics that you've brought to this episode? Oh, well, it, I predominantly just on LinkedIn. So my Maria Jeffers, you'll find me just under my profile name. I post regularly on there about lots of different things, but all related to our mindset and how to really build our positivity and our resilience. I just want to thank you for your time today. It's been lovely to explore this fascinating topic. I think for me, it, it's one that probably affects all of us. So it's one of those rare sort of subject matters that no matter how positive we feel, there's always those moments when we do drift back into that yeah. negative thought process. So I think the tips you've mentioned today are useful. And uh, yeah, I just want to thank you for your time. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, thank you as well. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. There you have it, folks. It's the end of another insightful episode. And as always, thank you so much for sticking around to listen to this episode and for helping support me and encouraging me to create more content for you guys. If you'd like to get in touch with me directly, you'll find my email address in the show notes or equally head over to the website and click on the contact link. And I promise I will respond to every single message I receive. I'm always looking for your feedback. So if you'd like me to change things up or improve things, I would love your opinions. If there are topics that you would like us to do future episodes on, or there are other great speakers that you are aware of, then please do mention them and uh, we'll see if we can make it happen. Thank you once again 